Welcome to the Heavenly Banquet, where the hungry are filled with good things. I'm Chad. And I'm Charlotte. So Charlotte, I, I know you've been doing research on Jonah and the sign of Jonah. And I was wondering if you might share what you've been learning on the podcast. I mean, my thoughts about Jonah don't run very deep. <laughs> um, so there's, the, you know, the image I had of Jonah as a kid where this guy gets swallowed by a big fish. And I was always fascinated by that. Um, but when I read Jonah now, you know, two things stick out for me. One is how uh, the way God divine mercy is portrayed that God wants to do, wants to have mercy on these people. And especially, and this is the other thing that sticks out, the contrast of that with Jonah, who's like, you know, he te- he goes through this city saying, you know, repent or things are going to get really bad. And then he goes and builds a hut up on the hill so he can wait and see if it'll get destroyed. And he seems kind of upset because he he sees these people repenting and he's like, oh, no, God's going to be merciful if they do this. <laughs> um, it is a wild and wonderful story. It is. So I don't know. I was I, I would be curious uh, to learn more about you've said you've um, talked about some of this, but just to hear more about what you've been studying with Jonah. Sure. So my impetus to turn towards Jonah was thinking about the things Jesus recorded in Luke and Matthew Mm -hmm. in which he says, this sign or this generation will receive no sign, but the sign of Jonah. Uh And then, you know, in kind of typical Jesus fashion, like walks away (laughs) (laughs) with like, like, and you figure that out or, (laughs) or, you know, it's, like we should already know you know and I was like I don't know what you're talking about to be honest and in addition to that being fascinated by that saying because you know Jesus certainly quotes portions of the Hebrew Bible Mm -hmm. throughout the gospels and then we have the reference in the gospel of John, where he compares himself to, you know, as Moses lifted up the serpent Mm -hmm. to that story. But then there's Jonah. And I don't remember kind of investigating or digging into that. Seems particularly significant to me that Jesus was like, out of all of the stories in the Hebrew Bible, this is the one that I want to lift up as something that's paralleling my work um so that both drew my attention back to jonah and then particularly we turned to it you know and during the uh sundays of easter uh because trying to see what what we might learn about the resurrection through jonah as well Mm -hmm. so it was a fun class for me because i was working with participants who like i think many of us hadn't considered Jonah since like a vacation Bible school kind of situation. Right. And they're just like, Jonah's the one who got swallowed by the whale and none, the rest of the story is kind of fallen away, you know, Mm -hmm. other than this particular image. 
Uh, so to get to know Jonah better and his circumstances and why he ends up so big, big mad <laughs> in the story yeah. <laughs> um, and then go, okay, well, the, what does that have to do with Jesus on the other end? Yeah. So, you know, as far as prophet stories go, it's an anomaly, really. It is, on, yeah. On t- at least two fronts. I mean, on one front, Jonah is sent to Nineveh. He's sent to an Assyrian city. He's sent to uh, folks who are outside of Israel, who are seemingly outside of God's covenant. What in the world is that about? And not just outside of God's covenant, people who are hostile (laughs) to the Israelites, people who uh, nearly wiped them out, right? And people who the Assyrian empire having this reputation too of just brutal, horrific acts of violence and mm-hmm. terrorism against um, the people that they conquered. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't want to go either. I mean, you know, on that front, like, no, it ca- thank you. It explains why he's fleeing. Yeah. In some regard. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it seems obvious in the beginning, like, okay, no, thank you <laughs> to that. You know, like, yeah. The word of God came to Chad and said, go to North Korea. And you'd be like, no, I don't need to be doing that. <laughs> yeah. You know, what are you talking? Like, this is a, it doesn't just seem like a futile mission. It's a, an incredibly dangerous one, or seems mm-hmm. to be. So we can understand that fling part. And then, okay, there's another instance of <laughs> something that we don't see with the other prophets we see some uh reluctant prophets um you know or patriarchs i mean moses even to begin you know like just find some find somebody else you know kind of stuff but you know there's a formula right of (laughs) the word of the lord came to so and so and said do this and then they did it right Yeah. yeah and in jonah it's the word of the lord came to jonah and said go to nineveh proclaim that in 40 days Nineveh will be destroyed, and Jonah gets in a boat and heads in the opposite direction. (laughs) Uh, And then a further thing that's unique in this story of Jonah is that the people (laughs) do repent, and the city is spared. So that's in contrast to what we see most prevalently with the other prophets speaking to Israel, Judah, you know, speaking to the covenant people about mm-hmm. some kind of impending doom, which always comes, right? Yeah. That the the message is too late or the message is ignored and things get at least at least things seem to get worse before they get better. Right. Maybe that's... they end up getting exiled anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's a really different story. And of course. That also, I think, bolsters the view that Jonah is standing uh, as a story is standing outside of history, right? Mm, I mean, okay. it's to think that there was this guy who stepped on the scene and who went to Nineveh and managed this feat, you know, um, it, this seems to be teaching Israel something else about itself, right? Mm. And about its need to actually listen, right, in contrast to 
the Ninevites response to this word from Jonah, um, but then also telling us more about the character of God, you know, yeah. who, uh, of course, there are places within the Hebrew Bible that speak to a larger covenant. I mean, that's the language between even the covenant of Abraham, right? right. He's going to be the father of nations. So we know that this is going to be an expa- more expansive mission from God. But much of what we see is really kind of closed. It's you and yeah. me. You're the chosen people. You know, I am your God and you will be my people. Yeah. Um, and then in this story, it's <laughs> go to Nineveh. <laughs> And, um, and they respond. And even before that, the conversations that uh, Jonah has with the sailors mm-hmm. on this ship, right? Um, and the proclamation that he makes in front of them where they're, you know, he's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. That's where they find him during the storm, which you know, that's Jesus stuff too, yeah, right? Sleeping in the uh, bottom so of the, the boat during a storm. Yeah this, yeah, this image of Jesus being the better Jonah too, but um, that they wake him up and they're like, what are you doing, man? You got to call in your God too. Who, you know, <laughs> like get up. We're all, all hands on deck yelling yeah. to our creators, you know? And he's like, yeah, okay. My, well, my God's the Lord of heaven and earth. And he's like, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you better speak up, first of all. <laughs> what were you doing down there? And are you telling me you're the cause of this? Anyway, yeah. but that they, I guess it's going to be a lingering question whether they kind of convert or not. I don't really think so. I think they probably added this new God to their sort of pantheon, pantheon. of folks. But um, there's no way they didn't tell that story. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. There's no way you know, whether, um, you know, they have to make it to port after the storm and do some repairs or just clean themselves up. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But that, you know, if they go to Tarshish afterwards, continue onward to, and again, who we're not entirely sure what that is, but um, a stand-in for the uh, Western end of the known world, right? Mm -hmm that they're going to take some kind of word about this God all the way out there, Jonah in the crew or not, you know, and anywhere else they go, the story about there was this horrific storm. There was this guy who said he was running from his God and we should throw him in the water. And, and we did and the storm stopped. And so we made a sacrifice to that God. Yeah. So anyway, there's just so much to pull apart in that story. Mm-hmm. That becomes the story about a whale. <laughs> it does uh, kind of get reduced to the big fish. Yeah. And leaves out, you know, the the way that the story ends, this dialogue between Jonah and God, of, you know, about the nature of repentance and forgiveness. And that the person who has the hardest time with what is going on is Jonah. Yeah. Yeah. Who also declares, I knew you would do this. And that's <laughs> why did. I didn't want to go. Yeah. I knew you were a forgiving God and full of mercy. Mm-hmm. I knew it. And I'm mad about it. Yeah. That's so extraordinary and yet so relatable. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> 
I love. <laughs> There's. I know you. Ha- I know you don't watch the show, but um, how do you know? A lot of people because. Uh, do you watch Ted Lasso? Oh, yeah. No, I don't want. You yeah, know so because I, you know I, I don't watch it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was why you thought you challenged me just that, um, but really popular show and I love it. But there's this character Roy Kent in it. And he reminds me, Jonah, in these moments where he's kind of has been full of like rage and this kind of toxic masculinity, but he's growing. Right. And so, you know, there's points in the show where he's like ready to just absolutely clock like another guy because he thinks he said something to his girlfriend or something like that. And so he's pulling the guy aside. And before he can do anything, you know, he's like, oh, boy. I'm going to talk to you, you know, and before that, like plays out the guy will be like, Hey, I need to let you know that I was talking to Keely. And I said this, and I'm really sorry. And nothing like that will happen again. And then Roy is just like, oh, and just yells an <laughs> expletive and walks away. Cause now he doesn't have anything to do with his rage. He has to accept that. You know? yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm like, okay, I get it. Like you're ready to bust heads. And then, Oh, forgiveness. Yeah. Oh, repentance and mm, I have to accept your apology. So what am I talking about? Well, so here's one thing I want to ask you about was the I is this the right way to put it? Iconography in the early church or how this yeah. image was so important. Yeah, that was really striking. Uh so we looked at the frescoes and the catacombs and the content of sermons and other writings from the early church too. And it's just Jonah everywhere, um, which is fascinating. So the depictions of Jesus are Jesus's good shepherd. And then there's just the cycle of Jonah over and over and over again, uh, which is usually reduced in these images to uh, Jonah being tossed out of the boat (laughs) Mm -hmm. Jonah in the belly of the whale Mm -hmm. Jonah regurgitated onto the shore Mm -hmm. and then if there is a fourth image it's of Jonah in his booth at the end but that's usually not about Jonah being big mad that mm-hmm. image yeah. that gets used is an image of repose, of rest, of uh, enjoying kind of some kind of afterlife or something. So, so again, the rest of the story has kind of fallen away, uh, right? Yeah. And focusing in on the big fish or sea monster, quite whatever it was. Because it's a type of his death and resurrection, correct? Or not? Yeah, so... Those folks are really focused on the Matthew saying. So that's in Matthew 12, uh, 38 through 42, where some some scribes and some Pharisees come to Jesus and say, we want to see a sign. Mm -hmm. As though Jesus hasn't been doing things for chapter after chapter, right? right. Uh, We'd love to see a sign from you, right? And Jesus said, uh, an evil and adulterous generation asked for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, 
So for three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah and see something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to listen to the wisdom of Solomon and see something greater than Solomon is here. So the queen of the south referring to Queen of Sheba mm-hmm. coming to, to talk to Solomon. So two instances of folks supposedly outside of the covenant responding to what they have seen now what's interesting it's endlessly interesting to me it's like it's like pulling at a knot that you think you're going to undo and then it's actually gotten so much worse or your fingers stuck in it um (laughs) here the sign of jonah seems to be this idea that jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster Mm -hmm. right and And a comparison of that with the fact that Jesus will be dead, buried, and then raised again. Mm -hmm. So there's something in here about the fact that the folks around Jesus and us aren't going to understand who he is or his work without the context of the resurrection, right? Without the context of the sign of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that that's going to be relevatory and is going to then call us to read the rest of the gospel accounts with that in mind. This text, though, in Matthew and in Luke, it's actually more obvious in Luke, because Luke doesn't do the, doesn't talk about the the whale or sea monster. Luke says, Jonah was assigned to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man will be to this generation. So you're wondering, how is Jonah a sign, right? So the Matthew text is saying the sign of Jonah we're placing on this experience with the uh, whale. How do the people of Nineveh know about that? And what I love about Jesus's interpretation of Jonah shall uh-huh. we say he's he's filling in he's kind of doing some midrash here really uh-huh. he's filling in some blanks in the book of Jonah because the book of Jonah has this Jonah tries to run away he yeah. gets dumped overboard the whale the whale also rescues Jonah Jonah would have drowned in the water of the yeah. storm right but yeah. God sends the the sea creature big fish yeah something to devour Jonah, which keeps him from drowning, is salvific in that way, right? The, which is why we get to play baptism imagery around these stories too. But Jonah spends some time in the whale. He gets regurgitated on the shore. He goes to Nineveh. All he's saying mm-hmm. in Nineveh, this strange man from a strange land, talking about a God nobody knows, and a weak <laughs> God too, right? I mean, the Assyrian Empire is taken over in the kind of known world, right? Mm-hmm. With with this huge might and force. Why do I want to know anything about your God? I'm with the winner God over right. here, right? Yeah. Oh, gods. And Jonah's proclamation in Nineveh 
the entire content of it is 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Yeah. It's just That's it. asserting this fact, possible yeah. future fact. Yeah. And yet somehow all of these people start repenting, start putting on sackcloth and fasting and ashes and all of this. And then the king gets word of it and then uh, demands it. For all of the people and for all of the oh, animals. The animals. <laughs> <laughs> this this total <laughs> this total repentance. And you wonder, like, what why would you have been so taken with this person, this Jonah, that you would have responded? Unless you saw him come out of a fish. Unless you either saw him or that word got around and that word probably would have traveled faster than jonah wouldn't it have yeah i mean that word gets on the trade routes (laughs) before Mm -hmm. jonah can figure out his way to get to nineveh right so i i like to think that that's kind of what jesus is doing is is filling in this part of the tradition with Mm -hmm. it's not just jonah it's not just his proclamation or it's certainly not his proclamation and it's certainly not like the effectiveness of Jonah's speech. Okay. So that's at least the power of God behind him or with his speech, but probably more compelling than that is that's that guy. What got thrown in the water (laughs) and the storm stopped was in a whale. and got vomited on a beach. (laughs) I'm curious what he thinks about things you know um, and some of the artistic representations not just in the catacombs and things but even later show him naked in Nineveh because he lost his clothes in the world (laughs) that's right (laughs) (laughs) but it reinforces like what a strange and wild man and thing this would have been and yet the people are responding positively, right? Mm-hmm. So is there something more behind that than God's grace and power? And certainly that's at play. Mm-hmm. But could it have been that they have seen the sign or have yeah. news or word of the sign? And could that even, you know, have moved whether they knew, knew yet about the regurgitation of the whale? Just the fact this guy was thrown into the sea and he's here. He's uh-huh. here again, you know. If they only knew as much as those sailors knew, that word is going to get to Nineveh before Jonah. That's too good of a story yeah, for people yeah. to keep to themselves. Nice, yeah, yeah, that's great. Should we talk some about what's up with the animals? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> God loves the animals. It is. It's pretty curious, isn't it? That because it's also. It's also silly, right, to think that you could make animals fast. That's and right. particularly <laughs> she, particularly the ones that graze. Right. Like yeah. what are they, you know, and if you have any familiarity with sheep, goats, cattle, whatever, they are eat, they will eat anything within mouth range. Yeah, I mean, they'll nibble on something. So it's kind of what is this show about, you know? Is it, a, is it just a demonstration of how seriously the Ninevites are taking things? That they're Total like, it's, repentance. It's a whole repentance. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think though contained within that is whether it's a show for God or it's a show for us, you know, as viewers of the story, the fact that our fates, the fate of humanity and the fate of the natural order are intertwined. Yeah. Right. I mean, if a city is going to get bombed, it's not just the people who are hurt. Yeah. It doesn't matter that it was people who sent the bombs there. Everything is going to get hurt. Yeah. Um, and whether that's animals and uh, plant life, but you know, the entire, let's say toxicity of the soil and things, depending on, you know, what kind of arms are used in a particular place. So there's an ecological read to Jonah here too, I think that's inviting us in. And of course that starts even with the storm, <laughs> the whale, the whale. Um, the fact that, you know, Jonah keep, proclaims this is the God of heaven and earth, the Lord of all creation. And so we could see how God is using these different natural forces throughout the story. And then later the squash plant or the, you know, kikoyon and, um, <laughs> and the worm, the thing uh-huh. like this, that God keeps using these agents from creation. But from the beginning, literally in the beginning, <laughs> this is what, what it's a story about us and the world and us in creation, not as just actors on a stage of mm. creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that part, uh, I think, of our responsibility then of caring for creation is to be mindful of all of our impact on creation. The fact that everything that we do impacts creation. Yeah. No doubt. And we're not always mindful of that, you know? Uh-uh. Yeah, no, I agree. There's a, another curious mention of Jonah in the Gospels, and it's in Matthew again. It's in Matthew 16, 13 through 20. And I think it gets maybe a little lost in the fact that this great, Uh, proclamation from Peter, right? So this is Jesus talking to his disciples saying, you know, who do people think say I am? And Mm -hmm. they say, you know, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Mm -hmm. We all clap our hands and get really excited that Peter's finally finally getting it right this is and and jesus answered him blessed are you simon son of jonah for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father in heaven uh, and then he goes on but he gives this acclamation or this nickname i i'm gonna read it this way son, simon son of jonah so we have trans this is the nrsv <laughs> NRSV. That was right. <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? I do that all the time. <laughs> I'm like, what did I say? What are the words coming out of my mouth? <laughs> uh, this is the NRSV. Some other translations say uh, Simon's son of John, because in the Gospel of John, 
it's said that Simon's father's name is John at some point. Mm -hmm. So they're trying okay. to harmonize these two um, mm -hmm. with the fact that the text here says son of Jonah. I like this reading, the son of Jonah, because obviously now I'm really into Jonah, <laughs> first of all, mm -hmm. but also because Jesus loves giving nicknames. Yes, he does. Uh, and so why, and this is a passage in which he's going to give him a couple nicknames <laughs> where he riffs on the Peter as a rock motif, right? Called, uh -huh. Or maybe a blockhead kind of uh -huh. uh, fun within there. So why not read Son of Jonah as not a mistake, not a, a textual problem, and not a conflict with thinking that Simon's father's name is actually John. Right. Mm -hmm. So genealogically, Simon Peter can be son of John, but here mm -hmm. Jesus is calling him son of Jonah. So to pull out some characteristic it, of Peter. Yeah, I think I think maybe, and I wonder what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, is Peter? Of course, Peter. So I, I'm thinking of Jonah sitting up on the hill waiting to see it destroyed, but that may not be what he's trying to but i hear what you're saying you're saying he's as a nickname calling him son of jonah because there's something in peter that he sees that reminds him of jonah yeah okay so if that's one possibility so maybe if i'm going to read it that way what i might say is the fact that whenever jonah is pressed in the book of jonah where he's pressed by the sailors yeah he proclaims exactly who his God is, <laughs> oh, right? Yeah. He has, he's not acting like it through the four chapters of this book, but when the sailors uh, ask him, my God's the Lord of heaven and earth, yeah. um, you know, at the end, when he's having this argument with God, he said, I knew you would do this because you are full of mercy and love and a God <laughs> who forgives people, right? Yeah. So he knows who God is there's something disconnected from who we actually his own um, yeah through actualizing that in his being somehow mm -hmm. there's a conflict there much like within mo many of us right i know <laughs> yeah. that i should be doing but i'm not yeah, yeah. um so i think there could be a play there mm -hmm. this also though comes after matthew 12 first instance of talking about the sign of Jonah and mm. then Jesus actually brings it up again in the beginning of this chapter 16 mm. just references it quickly said you will get you keep asking y'all keep asking for signs you're going to get no sign but the sign of Jonah doesn't expand on it at all at that point that if he's talking about himself if Jesus is talking about himself as a type of Jonah um, as the better Jonah has, as perfection where Jonah has failed, then that means that he's al alluding or pointing toward, I think in some ways, the inheritance that Peter mm. and others will receive through okay. Christ and through the sign of Jonah that Jesus is going to work. Uh -huh. I think it can be read as an allusion to it's not just the son of man who's going to be raised up. It will be all of you at the yeah, last day. Okay. 
um, that this like work, that. this work that I am intersecting is, is not just a, a sign, a show on my own behalf, but is something that you will all inherit. You're a son of Jonah. Uh-huh. Your, your, uh, your inheritance. Nice. Wow. Very nice. Now I could even think of particular people who I'm sure don't listen to this podcast, but would be like, wow, you really put a lot of meat on one word there, Charlotte. (laughs) (laughs) Everything hangs on that one. But I think, I think that's honestly why I have so much enjoyed reading and studying around both the book of Jonah in itself. And then this, this saying in Matthew and Luke about the sign of Jonah, because it's inviting us to compare these two really seemingly desperate things Mm -hmm. and to enter into a different world of biblical imagination than most of us use or that most of us uh, many of us used at one point but had beaten out of us (laughs) 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 you guys i like some of the tools of the historical critical method yeah i don't want to do too much the world the world of looking for one right answer or Mm -hmm. one meaning of a text is in such stark contrast to the way that the Hebrew people read the Bible, the way that Jesus Jesus. is reading the Bible here, um, and the way that the earliest Christians read the Bible. Um, If it's only little morality texts that only carry these one meaning per story or per saying... That is a that is not the most interesting piece of literature I've ever encountered. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but something that multifaceted, multivalent, that has yeah. this depth that we can continue to explore our whole lives long. That I want into. Yeah. I want to break into that text.